This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, February 29th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Mountain Village discusses improvements to the meadows. Designer examines social justice. Backcountry rangers spread education and safety. And a mountain weather forecast. A number of improvements are on the docket for the Meadows neighborhood in Mountain Village. Once we adopted the amended comprehensive plan in 2022, um, one of the stated goals of the Community Development Department was to get um, to, to activate these these Meadows sub-area action items as soon as possible after that adoption. That's Amy Ward, Community Development Director at Mountain Village. So these are things that were listed within the action items for the Meadows sub-area. And um, and I'd like to just prioritize that list. At a recent meeting, town council discussed a laundry list of possible improvements. Everything from parking studies to bus stops, short-term rental regulations to emergency access routes. The first topic is a parking study for the Meadows. I think we hear anecdotally that the Meadows neighbors uh, have no desire to see public parking facilities down there and that it should be for Meadows neighbors, residents, you know, and and guests solely, and the GPG should be absorbing all the, uh, you know, resort traffic. That's Jim Loby, Transit and Recreation Director at Mountain Village. The GPG is the gondola parking garage. Ward also asks if regulations should expand parking requirements for development applications. When we were going through, especially the Lot 644 (laughs) approval process, Um, Some of the Meadows residents felt like uh, parking requirements for condominiums or employee apartments should equal one parking spot per bedroom. Mountain Village recently implemented a number of new parking regulations and fees across town. It's implemented a Zipcar program and limited the number of parking permits for Big Billies. As a whole, council opted to see how those programs play out before potentially moving forward with a parking study or changing parking requirements. When it comes to the parking lot in the Meadows itself, council discusses two diverging options. Ward again. There's a couple options on the table. One is that, you know, okay, if we really are still considering this grand concept down there, then maybe we, we repave that surface just as is. Um, and by, you know, by a little bit of time, up to 10 years, I would say. The grand concept is a multi-level parking structure. If we really want to do a surface parking lot right there, we could do some more intensive improvements, including, you know, some you know, re-engineering, um, installing drains, etc., so that we're, we're committing to a surface parking lot that works better than the existing one, um, and, and, uh, and putting some more infrastructure into it so that it holds up you know, further into the future. Council opted to move forward with option two. It also supports making improvements at bus stops in the area. Ward also asks if Mountain Village should fund a study to determine a secondary emergency access route throughout the meadows. On the whole, council supports funding the study, but some council members, including Pete Dupre, want to know how Mountain Village as a whole would evacuate in an emergency. We really don't know how quickly we could evacuate this community if we had to. And I wonder if it would make sense if we were, we were going to spend money on consultants, would that be a better exercise than just looking at, mm-hmm. do we need enough? You know, I just, I don't think any of us know how we'd 
we would evacuate this place if, if we had to do it quickly. Ward says staff can take a phased approach to study emergency access for both the Meadows specifically and Mountain Village as a whole. Finally, should staff move forward with proposed improvements to the Adams Ranch Road sidewalk and landscaping? To that, council gave a resounding yes. Here's Mountain Village Mayor Marty Prohaska. I walk this every day, and 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 I also have mo- have mowed a lot of lawns in my life, mm-hmm. and um, this is basically the worst landscape design ever. Ever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, take it out. Outside of parking and transit issues, town council also discussed if Mountain Village should look to more restrictions around short-term rentals in the meadows. As a largely deed-restricted neighborhood, there aren't many STRs, but there are a few. Mountain Village town manager Paul Weiser notes rather than implementing new STR regulations, Mountain Village could work with homeowners associations. One other scenario that you could encourage that wouldn't require government action would be to have the HOAs of the various mm-hmm. developments mm-hmm. amend their covenant mm-hmm. to prevent short-term rentals. There could be legal implications for HOAs to move in that direction, but council opted to work with the HOAs and potentially move forward with regulations at a later date. Each action within the Meadows sub-area improvements plan will take varying time. Mountain Village will keep the community updated as projects move forward. Kevin Yoon Kitlow has been working in the Montreal, Quebec art, design, and activist scene since attending school there in the early aughts. Lowe is in town this week to open an exhibition titled Matter vs. Spirit at the AHA School. Collecting his latest work, the exhibit combines large typographic banners, video art, and musical collaborations to explore agency, social justice, and our lived experience of language. He is also releasing his first book with a reading this Friday at the Wilkinson Library. Lowe was an avid artist as a teenager, but when it came to college, he felt pressure to study something more practical. So he says in a conversation with Kodo News, he came to design. It did seem like, okay, this seems like a word where I could maybe earn a living. So uh, I tried to get into the design program and I didn't because I didn't really understand what design was at that time. Um, But that just motivated me more to, to, to get into it. Um, And then through the, um, I guess, my undergraduate in design at the university where I now teach, Concordia University in Montreal, um, I think I was really exposed to a lot of different ways of approaching um, graphic design and design generally, and also nurtured an interest in sort of the social aspects of that. And so after graduating from university, um, I worked commercially for quite a while as well, but all the time, at the same time, I always had a kind of like... Uh, personal practice where I was doing things that were a bit more experimental, things that were a bit more political, a bit more activisty. Are there any experiences from your kind of early years getting into design and social justice where those two things really came together yeah. in a way that felt like a path forward? Yeah, I mean, it was around the turn of the millennia. I think there was a really strong movements that I guess would be called like anti-globalization movements. The famously in Seattle, I think there's a, the World Trade Organization protests in Seattle, and then in Quebec City, which is quite close to to Montreal, 
Um, there was uh, the Free Trade Areas of the Americas um, Summit and, and the counter-protest to that, which was really, really massive. So the social movements organizing against these kind of like large capitalist trade organizations were really, really strong at the time. And I remember uh, very vividly that like my professors were involved in kind of these protests, um, connecting with uh, other activists and artists from, from across the world in many ways. And so the sort of screen printing studios at the university were used to create like protest material. Um, there was an exhibition of activist design practices in, in Quebec when we went out there. Could you describe your um, aesthetic or kind of the materials um, mm -hmm. that you're most drawn to? In my practice, I'm really focused on typography. Behind that is a really fascination with just like language, right? And, and how language represents itself in material form, which to me is typography. The work that I've done and that work that we do when we were in, I was in the running the studio um, is pretty varied. I think it's more unified by its concern for being kind of like community focused, uh, oppositional, um, political activist, etc. So that does tend to look certain ways sometimes, but I also try and subvert the kind of stereotype of like you know we very very rarely use fists in the air, for example. What what sort of conversations and concerns are you um, having with your students these days? It's a, that's a tough one. Um, you know, trying to bring in contemporary situations is really interesting to me. It's not something that I found easy to do, especially around. I mean, to be honest, the, right now with everything that's going on in Palestine, it's something that I've been involved in for a long time in in solidarity with Palestine and uh, kind of seeing the horrors of what's happening in Gaza and knowing that. You know, probably my, many, many of my students are seeing this, but then to try and have that discussion be open is, is very difficult in these times, you know, and especially relating it to design. But I'm hoping to do that because I'm seeing social movements are using media, using graphic design, using communications in a totally new way, which is horrific in some ways because it's connecting us directly to some of the horrors that are happening on the ground in Gaza, but also incredibly inspiring. Um, is there anything else you want to add kind of about your current design work and you know sort of the unfolding of global activist events design's a discipline that's sort of like very it's kind of scared of its own shadow in a sense if i can put it in a certain way where there's this kind of idea of how much agency design has but then for a lot of people coming just out of school you're looking for work you know what are you going to be doing you're going to be doing commercial work um to make money and maybe you don't have the agency to really have a have a true say in how that expands design is a form of labor that's really really essential these days for you know uh global capitalism etc but then to also see the flip side in terms of like well that's on the professional level but as a as a kind of way of understanding of the world as a way of engaging with the world um it can be much broader you know it can be done in support of social movements do you often get to travel for your work I, I'm very lucky to, to be able to travel uh, a bit. I love to travel more. I really enjoy traveling. I definitely didn't, didn't expect to be landing in, in Telluride anytime soon, so it's great to be here. <laughs> well, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Um, Kevin, thank you so much for coming in and sharing with us. Thank you. <laughs> that was Kevin Yoon Kit Lowe, professor, designer, writer, and activist. Find his work at the AHA School all March long and meet Lowe himself for a book talk in Q&A at the Wilkinson Library this Friday, March 1st at 5.30 p.m.
Dreaming of a blissful new summer job? Something to get you outside? Something even to get you hiking? The Forest Service may have just the position. You could be a recreation ranger. The rec rangers hiked and patrolled an estimated 530 miles in the 2023 season. Those included Gallatin Goose, Deep Creek Trail, Navajo Lake, Lizard Head Trails, Bear Creek, Dread Weeby, and many, many more. That's Chris Smith with the Norwood District of the Grand Mesa, Uncompagre, and Gunnison National Forest, who oversees our region's rec ranger program. Smith came before the board of San Miguel County Commissioners this week to share the accomplishments of 2023's rec rangers. They're hiking those trails. They're they're having interactions with the public. They're also taking count of number of groups, group sizes, people, dogs, horses, bikes <laughs> sometimes, which last year we did we did intercept a bicyclist, which was, you know, they're not allowed in the wilderness. So that was a good um, learning opportunity, learning opportunity for our rangers to explain why they're not allowed. Rangers are often young folks in college or post-college setting out on a career in public lands or just seeking a summer in Colorado's backcountry. They don't enforce forest rules. Their work is to observe and collect data for the USFS while also informing and educating the public. Rangers are known to pop up at local farmers markets and also lead sessions with school groups and youth events through the Wilkinson Library to further engage the community with forest issues. But they spend a lot of time on trails chatting with hikers. Overall, we almost made 3,000 contacts in the Bridalville Basin. And so that's including the parking lot and the connecting trail systems. So we typically have a, a ranger stationed at the parking lot basically there to intercept folks if they have questions. Um, and then we have someone hiking the trail. So we have presence on the trail and uh, at the parking lot. This is, you guys probably are aware, is a little less than normal for us. Uh, definitely slowed down the last couple of years up there. I think COVID was, COVID years were our, our, our busiest up there, but definitely very popular spot still. Even with a dip in visitation post-pandemic, this corner of the Rockies is continuing to see the impacts of its popularity. Commissioners wonder, are area wilderness zones seeing too many hikers? Are they being loved to death? Here's Smith. The lizard head in a lot of places is still within capacity, but we're reaching that upper limit, mostly in the Navajo Lake Basin area. Mm -hmm. We're getting a lot of a lot of usage up there and a lot of people camping in places they shouldn't and impacting and eroding the soil. Neil Perry works with the Ure District of the Forest Service and oversees the Alpine Ranger Program, which focuses not on trails, but on the roads crisscrossing the Alpine Loop from Ophir Pass to Imogene to Black Bear. Perry says the Blue Lakes Trail in the Ure District recently started requiring hikers to obtain permits in order to limit traffic in that area. On all these high country roads and trails, says Perry. It's certainly hard for me to envision, which is me personally, uh, a future where we don't regulate at some point, giving recent, like growth patterns and the environmental consequences of that. Blue Lakes is a microcosm of, of that. Um, but uh, I don't have an answer with regard to what we're going to do. First thing we need to do is have good, consistent data. In the past, the Alpine Ranger and Recreation Ranger programs have been run separately. 
Moving forward, the two programs will pool their funding and collaborate more closely. Commissioners appreciate the efforts of the Rangers on county trails and roads. I think this is a really good example of government working. This program is so diverse. I'm, I'm very impressed. That's Commissioner Ann Brown. San Miguel County supports the Ranger programs financially with a combined $36,000 annually. The town of Telluride is hoping to better understand the wants and needs of town residents when it comes to government projects, services, goals, and objectives. This week, the town launched a survey to get some insight. The survey covers everything from quality of life, safety, community, health, communication, town services, businesses, development, and housing. Deputy Telluride Town Manager Zoe Donnell says they hope, through the survey, residents will reflect on 2023 and identify ways the town succeeded, in addition to areas for improvement in the future. The survey is available in English and Spanish. Physical surveys have been mailed to local P.O. boxes. It is also available online at bit.ly slash totsurvey23. The survey will remain open through April 3rd. Results will be presented to the community in May. Main Street is decked with pride flags, and Telluride Gay Ski Week is in full swing. As the week comes to a close, it's your last chance to catch the Love is Love exhibit at the Telluride Arts HQ Gallery, featuring local artists Brooke Einbender, Carly Hodes, Emma Girona, and many more. There's also a drag brunch at the Mountain Lodge on Saturday and a burlesque drag show on both Friday and Saturday night. The Glitter Ball will close the weekend with a bang at the Sheridan Opera House. The current western mega drought is unlike anything we've seen going back to the 1500s. A new study looked at samples of tree rings and determined this current drought is fueled by heat. That causes drier soils and makes drought more frequent, intense, and widespread. Researcher Karen King with the University of Tennessee says the uptick in heat is driven by human-caused climate change. We know that extreme heat has consequences. We know that drought has consequences. And so when they're compounded together, right, we can expect that those vulnerabilities are only going to be magnified, and they're probably the consequences are going to be more wide-reaching. Those consequences include major strain on the Colorado River. Its water supply is already dwindling, and leaders are struggling to rein in demand. Colorado's housing crisis continues to be a top priority for state lawmakers. A new bill would force local governments to let residents build more accessory dwelling units— or ADUs. KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports the bill would only apply to certain parts of the state. Communities under metropolitan planning organizations like Boulder, Fort Collins, and their surrounding areas would see changes under the bill. They would have to allow for one ADU per single-family home. Mountain communities would be mostly exempt. Christy Silva owns a small construction company focused on building ADUs as affordable housing. She says she started her business in part because her own family is being priced out. I think of my own kids in their early 20s, and they won't be able to afford to live in Colorado. They're the first of four generations who won't be able to afford to live here. 
the bill would also launch several new grant programs for communities proactively supporting ADUs. The bill was approved by a legislative committee yesterday and now faces debate on the House floor. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the State Capitol. Grand Junction Mayor Anna Stout ended her bid for Colorado's 3rd Congressional District at the beginning of February, making Adam Frisch the lone Democrat running. Frisch is currently traveling hundreds of miles campaigning in 27 western and southern Colorado counties. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KVNF's Lisa Young sat down with Frisch last week at Doghouse Espresso in Delta. I know a lot of people are still asking you the questions about Lauren Bovert leaving the district. I'm, I'm going to be one of those. Yeah. Uh, how has it changed and what uh, are you looking to do as you continue to campaign around the district as the sole Democrat on the primary side for the Democrats? Well, you know, we're all, it'd be, probably would have been more fun to defeat her at the ballot box last year or this year. But, you know, we're taking pride that we, and a lot of hard work from volunteers, literally chased her out of the district. It's probably been 25, 30 years since someone actually packed up and moved, not because of redistricting. But the great thing about her departing is it allows a better conversation. There's, she attracts so much national attention and a lot of support, but also a lot of that hatred. And we were getting uh, kind of blamed for going after her. We never spent any time attacking her family or personal stuff. It was always that she wasn't supportive of veterans and her policies. And we always want to tell, to tell people why people should be voting for us or for anybody for that matter. And the fact that a lot of that national circus media has left allows for a better conversation and that'll be better for the district. And so regardless if I'm running along another firebrand or a traditional, more traditional Republican, it doesn't change how many miles we're going to put on the road how hard we're going to work and how we're going to focus on Colorado energy, Colorado jobs, Colorado water, the issues that matter to the ranchers and the farmers and small business owners that live in our beautiful rural district. So uh, on one hand, um, not a lot's going to change because, it, again, it's, it doesn't change. Her departure doesn't change the issues that are facing the vast majority of people in the district. We just have much better options going forward. You talked a lot about what people are interested in here in the district. What are you hearing from the constituency here? And I know you were just in Montrose. You know, I, th I think they just feel like a lot of the rural way of life is being beaten up and not focused on. And I think you hear that across the entire district, especially on the western slope. I think people, and I've been a big believer in how important domestic energy is. We have a climate crisis, but the way you do not solve that is by sending people to Iran and Qatar and, and China coal to try to figure out how to produce the energy that's needed for the global economy. Rural healthcare is also huge. Everyone has accessibility issues because it costs so much to buy insurance and show up and pay for a, the doctor's visit. But we are driving so far to go see specialists or even our primary care doctor. And something that's not been talked about a lot, but we're starting to focus on is just the mental health aspects of how important that belongs in the healthcare conversation. And even when I'm in some of the more conservative districts, people nod their head and acknowledge when I start to have these conversations about healthcare and ranchers and farmers, sadly, are running into suicide rates that are on par with veterans. You know, and, and nobody deserves to be in that bucket. Uh, and unfortunately, the lack of focus on rural 
parts of our district, in rural parts of the country, in D.C., has been a detriment. And I think people are open-minded, regardless of political party, to find someone who's going to focus on what matters to them and their families. Democrats typically haven't been doing very well with rural America. It seems like the Republicans on the national level have really tapped into something there that has really ignited them. 30 years ago, the 2,000 rural counties in the country were represented equally by Republicans and Democrats and or, or had voted for a presidential. And now, instead of 50-50, it's 10, 10 to 90. And I think it's a bore. And I, I don't... Th- Monopolies are bad in business and man, monopolies are bad in politics. Uh, and with due respect to uh, these big city Democrats, they're not always delivering the best version of the Democratic Party in, in those big cities that are struggling with the, some big issues. And a lot of time in rural parts of the country, the Republican Party is not delivering the best version of that Republican Party. And I don't want to focus on Team Red. I don't want to focus on Team Blue. It's Team CD3. Republicans and Democrats both have health care issues, both have mental health care issues, both are struggling with the cost of living, trying to figure out how to handle child care and health care, making sure that they have good jobs, that pay well, and that people can retire with dignity. These are the conversations that are happening, not all of these firebrand issues that the far right and the far left want to bring up. I think the vast majority of people want someone who's going to be playing between the 240-yard line, so to speak, and that's where I am. And, you know, there's just too much media-focused on kind of the two five-yard lines where all the loudest yellers and screamers are, and I don't have any interest in that. Yeah, you mentioned that you came in as an independent, found a pathway through the Democratic Party. What has your appeal been to the independent folks in the district? I will tell you, people ask me, like, what do the Latinos think? What do the conservatives think? The vast majority of people are thinking about the same stuff. You know, again, it's the, the cost of living, health care expenses, a growing mental health catastrophe we have in rural America. Again, the cost of living, making sure that there's strong domestic energy production. And again, young, old, Latino, Caucasian, Democrat, Republican, independent, libertarian, green, whatever you want to call it. Most people, not that the media wants, some part of the media wants you to believe that, care about a lot of the same stuff. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 20 degrees. Friday should bring sunny and breezy conditions with a high near 40, and Friday night calls for partly cloudy skies with a low around 25. Expect a windy day on Saturday with gusts as high as 45 miles per hour and a 20% chance of snow. Snow showers become likely Saturday night and high winds persist. The Saturday high is near 40 degrees with a low around 25. This has been the news for Thursday, February 29th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Attention families with kids age 0 to 5. Join Wilkinson Public Library and Bright Futures for a free parenting workshop on Thursday, March 7th, from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Telluride Elementary School counselor Elizabeth Gardner will be presenting ways to support challenging behavior. Learn how to promote healthy social-emotional development. Dinner, childcare, and Spanish interpretation will be provided. See you at the library. 
We hope you can join us for our upcoming Spring Sing concerts on Friday, March 8th and Sunday, March 10th. Our artistic director, Hal Adler, and the Telluride Choral Society have an amazing set of songs to present to you, from Bach to Jacob Collier and everywhere in between. Our theme, Beauty in Beginnings and Endings, plays out through the concert with Sing My Child, a celebration of childhood and strength, and then a beautiful, hopeful song, Let My Love Be Heard. We'll be reminded of the beauty in all things and in all stages of life. There will also be a sing-along piece for the audience called Little Blue by Jacob Collier and arranged by our own Amy Vanderbosch. Tegan Kessner, our new youth artistic director, has our kids at the top of their game. So come join us on Friday, March 8th at 7 p.m. or Sunday, March 10th at 4 p.m. They're both at Christ Church and tickets are at the door. And do check out Susan V. Brock's Telluride Inside and Out for more details. This is Ginny Fraser, and thank you, Kodo. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.